coming up on this episode of Belief Hole. They are terrified. It's just after it happens. The woman is shaking, crying. When they describe what they saw and experienced, it will make you second guess ever going into the ocean again. Yeah. I mean, sharks are enough for me. I know. This is like sharks that the devil made and stretched <laughs> out into a reptile serpent. Really? I think I might rather be eaten by a sea monster than a shark. I don't know. After hearing some of these All accounts. Right, we'll, we'll see, I guess. The thing about sharks is, I think most of the time you don't see them coming. You know, they come up from below. Right. Yeah. They're those ancient warriors of the ocean. Yeah. But with these sea serpents, it seems like they pop up, snort snotty water at you, glare with their snaky eyes and then, um, you know, open their jowls of double road teeth. They're meat eaters. Oh, yeah. It, it's creepy. Like, the more I looked into this, the more I started to think there's something to these stories. I mean, I always yeah. wanted to believe in, in Nessie. Yeah. And you've heard about Champ. Nessie was my first love. Yeah. I, but then, I, you know, over time, you're like, they never found it in Loch Ness. They've tried so many times and I've followed it for a long time. And you kind of lose that. But now hearing stories and some that are just actually terrifying. Especially in the ocean. Yeah. There's other ways to consider these things. So you kind of lose the interest in the physical animal until, until you hear stories like this. Yeah. Right. Is there any evidence of dragons? Yeah, I thought about that before this episode. I was thinking about the history of dragons. A lot of them were underwater, and mm -hmm. you know, there's always the idea that were they dinosaurs misidentified? Were, were dinosaurs living at the time? Right. They, was there some overlap? Or are there just dragons, man? There's just so much mythology behind dragons. Yeah. Well, it's, it's such a global thing, and I think if you're going to be skeptical, I think the most logical explanation is that people in ancient cultures found skeletal dinosaur remains and then imagined what could this be? This is something that probably still exists. That's a great theory. Yeah. That's probably the case. That or the <laughs> wizards hid them all, which I think is also possible. I am a wizard! You can only see about 25 feet in front of you in all directions. You have this turmoil, the buoy lunging, trying to take salvation on the buoy. And then right after this chaos, water settles, fog rolls in. It's very quiet. This is where it gets freaky. Homunculus, alien races, Satanism in Hollywood, MK Ultra, Tartaria. There's like a whole. I've been watching this one guy. Close like, the door, in. Jeremy. Close your door. What's the uh, inner Earth disagreements? Ghost Dad. <laughs> I like that movie. Dogman, Bohemian Grove, Corey Feldman, Magicians are demons, Specters, Spirits, Sleep, Paralysis, Strange Disappearances, Skywell Phenomena, yes. Alternative History, Shadow People. Shh, quiet, I'm trying to say words with the mouth. It's getting dicey out there. Poltergeists. That's cool. Anunnaki. What is the moon? <laughs> Elf Towers. I would never talk about it. That's old. Y2K. Cover ups. Apocalyptic catastrophe. Vampire. Well, hello, hello. Well, hello, hello. Hey, John. Hi. <laughs> Keep that chin up. So you look like a sad sea monster over there, John. You do. That doesn't make me feel better. Well, you don't really look like a sea monster. He's just trying to tie it into the episode. Oh, yeah. That's cool. You should know that's how I do it by now. Why are you sad, John? Tell My everyone. sauna broke. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bummer, man. This crazy guy just got a sauna last week. Yeah. That was fun to help him move in. I used it twice, and the first time it broke, and the second time it broke. <laughs> that's lame, dude. Sad. It'll be fixed. Yeah. I mean, it's that time of year where you really, I mean, that's an awesome thing to have, you know? Yeah. You're going to get it working soon. Oh, I know, but... Cheer up, cheerio. I'm fine. 
<laughs> sea monsters, huh? I know you're super excited about this one. Okay, so this this How one. How many cryptids can we do? Okay, I know we're, we've done a lot because of Halloween. We did a lot of spooky creatures in the unknown out there. But yeah, this honestly came to our attention because I had an issue of Forgotten Times coming. It's like in. a brontosaurus. Yeah, well, yeah. So that's the so we're looking at our show notes right now, guys. We'll have this in our show notes, but uh, the general image of this sea monster, which is like a, a Loch Ness kind of plesiosaur type, flippery, almost elephant-like brontosaurus, brachiosaur type creature. But today, I will make the argument that there is something else that lives in the sea, deep, deep in the sea, that is more serpentine, actual sea serpent. Yes, and terrifying. And this is why I want to do this episode. Yeah, Chris, as you were saying, you've got a story you're going to do. It first came to your attention from 40 and Times Magazine. Yeah, I mean, lake monsters, sea monsters aren't something I've been excited about since probably sixth grade. But the account that I read in 40 and Times just was shocking, frankly. So I knew we had to do it at some point, and then it just it worked out well because you'd come oh, across yeah, yeah. all the sea serpent stuff that seemed to correlate. Well, yeah, the story that we're going to talk about, it involves death. Are we going to do the Bermuda Triangle next? If you wish. <laughs> hey, that could be expansion. Is that what you want to do? No. I was actually considering the Alaska <laughs> Triangle for expansion. but What's that? I never heard of that. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff up there. Yes, but these stories, John, I thought the reason why these were so compelling is because, I mean, there's tragedy involved, which is unfortunate, right. but it does make compelling case for the existence of these types of things. Yeah. So we're kind of focusing on those stories today. The ones where there were real consequences, you know. Do you think being attacked by a sea monster would categorize as unfortunate? Uh, I guess I put that <laughs> kind of lightly. Uh, traumatic. I had an unfortunate accident. Like a fender bender. Yeah, running into like your neighbor is an unfortunate experience. <laughs> being eaten by a sea monster is horrific. Yeah, that's you must true. not like your neighbors, John. You mean like the talkers that you get stuck in conversation with, that kind of thing? Or I'm just saying fender bender is an unfortunate. Oh, running into like physically. I think yeah. you meant like no, you see your like neighbor at the grocery that store. That could be too. Right. <laughs> It'd be an unfortunate experience depending on who it is. Yeah. Okay, sorry. But you're right. That's true. I did understate that. Traumatic is a better word. And there's one interview coming up here that Jeremy has of a recent experience that came out in an interview on the news. They sound completely traumatized. This is why I want to do this episode. So Chris told me about the story that we're going to cover shortly coming up here, 14 times, which is an incredible story based on real events. Controversial for sure. Controversial, but people actually died. Uh, the guy who we're going to get the story from lived until 2016. Yeah. So he's a real fellow. You can corroborate all that and you can corroborate his account from the original when it was originally released in the press. So that's all there. But John, what made me decide to do this episode is after that, I just started looking into it for a little bit, just sea serpent sightings, whatever, sea monsters. And I found this interview with this couple from, um, where are they from? New Jersey, right? They sound like they're from they're New, not Jersey. New Jersey. It's New England. When we get to it, well, I, have okay. the, I have the data, got the details, but they are terrified. It's just after it happens. A news crew, I think later that afternoon or something, they interviewed him. The woman is shaking, crying. Uh, the guy sounds, he's like a Sylvester Stallone kind of figure, but they're so credible because they legit experienced something. They were terrified. Other people on the shore witnessed this thing. When they describe what they saw and experienced, will make you second guess ever going into the ocean again. Yeah. Which, if you needed help with that anyway, I'm not a big ocean I mean, guy. Sharks are enough for me. I know. This is like sharks yeah. that the devil made and stretched <laughs> out into a reptile I serpent. Mean, really? Snort yeah. water at you out of their it's nose? It's like the dogman thing, dude. I think I might rather be eaten by a sea monster than a shark. I don't know. After hearing some of these All accounts, right, we'll, we'll see, I guess. Some of this sounds almost like that kind of uh, window entity thing where there's the, the fear. Like the people, they weren't really attacked, but they were hurt. But this thing like generated your interview, this you dread. Yeah. The interview I have later on. But it almost like, it sounded like it, it always looks, makes eye contact, almost like a, that sneer. Yeah. Exactly. With the, <laughs> exactly. Did you see it already? Because that's a dead on impression. No. The thing about sharks is, I think most of the time you don't see them coming. You know, they come up from below. Right. Yeah. 
they're those ancient warriors of the ocean. They yeah. just, you don't see them coming. But with these sea serpents, it seems like they come at you, then they pop up, snort snotty water at you, <sighs> glare with their snaky eyes, and then, um, you know, open their jowls of double road teeth. They're meat eaters. Oh, yeah. The ones we're going to be doing later, they're not the typical plesiosaur ones like we have in these images. These are like legit serpents. Oh, they okay. might have fins or dorsal fins, but mostly they have humps. Man, that would be crazy to see. Like, uh, look at that guy. Yeah. Why is he on a horse in the sea? This is an old French medieval painting of a beast or something. Terrifying. Is that a? Is that like a flying horse? Uh, it looks like it's it like King Arthur. Pegasus. Pegasus. I'm not oh. sure that they know who painted this or what it is exactly, but it's a cool. That would image. be crazy to, to see a sea monster that looked like an anaconda. Mm -hmm. But like That's way bigger. You're going to hear some descriptions by real people <laughs> today. Barrel-sized yeah. body, uh, 60 to 100 feet long. Basketball-sized head. Basketball-sized head with just like Basketball a... Basketball-size? Yeah, three to four feet. That's not that big. Well, it depends. Well, on a snake. That's pretty big. Yeah, um, but that's not enough to like eat a person, is it? A basketball? I mean, your head's almost the size of a basketball. Yeah, but the mouth is, you know, it's longer and <laughs> opens wider. Maybe not swallow you whole. Yeah. But enough to like bite your head off. Right. Well, that's okay. enough. The one yeah, that we're enough. the one that we're gonna hear from Maine with the couple, that one it's they describe it as basketball sized, but they also describe the creatures only like fifteen to twenty feet long or something. Whereas most of the accounts in the same area, going back centuries, forty five, fifty, are, seventy feet. Sounds like the adult version of that. They're three to four foot heads. 60 to 150 foot long, but the same creature with like the, the way the, the details in this uh, um, encounter that we're going to get to, they just, you, you know, they're not making this up. It's not some kind of like, we're going to keep this myth going. Like they're terrified. They saw this thing with a white uh, stripe down its throat, its neck, which match reports given in the 17, 18, 1900s going back centuries. Yeah. From credible people. This is the 1600s, at least yeah. on this continent. Anyways, we're going to get to all that coming up, but it's fascinating and it, it makes these stories all the scarier and it makes me want to stay out of the ocean. Yeah. Still. I didn't need any more reason. I know, me either, but it's just one more. It's when someone was like, ah, it's fine. Sharks are nice. Like, yeah, but well, sea know, monsters aren't. Next time your friend asks you to go on a yacht ride, you'll say, nope. Yeah. Next time P. Diddy calls. Even lakes, man. Stay <laughs> P. Diddy. Next time. Last time I went. Hey, Jeremy. Oh, that was bad. That's my dream last <laughs> night. My dream this morning was, I swear, so weird. We were all hanging out at Joe Rogan's ranch out in the woods somewhere. I guess in my dream he has a ranch for some reason. And we were doing outdoor activities, like, you know, lifting weights out in the woods and riding four-wheelers. But right then up your alley. Right? <laughs> lifting weights but then he in had, the woods. Uh, <laughs> so we all had these snorkel masks. <laughs> That is a dream for sure. And we were going to go snorkeling. It was just, you know, those, those snorkel masks that just came out like last year. They're awesome. Yeah, yeah. You can dive pretty deep and mm -hmm. you don't have to blow out. It just knows when you're yeah, going on. I use one of those. Like a ninja mask. Anyway, I dreamt we had those. And then I woke up and I read the this article and I never read the beginning introduction of it. I didn't realize that the kids that are tragically lost in our first story, they went... Uh, skin diving with the scuba masks, not the same ones because this was the 60s, but it was just weird because I just dreamt about a similar situation, but although Synchronicity. it was with people I don't know and a place far away. So back to the Joe Rogan Woods weightlifting. <laughs> the alternate section. Bohemian Grove experience. <laughs> Bizarre. Was that, did it end well in your dream? You exchange numbers and hang out or? Um, Were you like excited to hang out with Joe? We've been friends for a long time. There was like no excitement <laughs> or joy. That's funny. I know that feeling, like I've had dreams of like people that I've listened to a lot where I'm like friends with them, mm -hmm. but you, you're not. Well, or, yeah. pla or places, right? Those dream worlds, like talking to Jennifer, a friend of the show recently about this kind of stuff. There's a lot of people out there who have that experience where it just feels like another reality. 
Yeah, exactly, sometimes you yeah. go to these places, and we had that great call with the fellow that disagreed with us on that point, thinking it's more of like a manifestation of what you experience as a young person, uh, like right. a child, and you fill in the gaps, and so you dream of these places kind of missing pieces and amalgamations. But I still contend that there is another reality, potentially, that this is real. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Okay, all right, deal. <laughs> Are we going? Yeah, let's you do ready? it. You ready to get in this? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's, let's get in Let's it. start with our first story, Chris. This comes from Pensacola, Florida. Is that correct? Yeah, let's travel on down to Florida. I do want to say before we start the story, you know, much like, kind of reminds me of Dyatlov Pass and the way that there were young people that died. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to treat this with respect. Absolutely. It is a fascinating story. And the guy who lived to tell the tale, I wouldn't say he's a controversial figure, but his story becomes a controversial figure based on the initial news report and then later the article he writes for Fate Magazine, which first depicts this tale of the monster. Mm -hmm. is when it first happens and he's found alive, the lone survivor of this adventure at sea. He doesn't mention the sea monster. Granted, he's 16 years old. And his accounting for this is that the head of the rescue operation advised him not to mention, you know, giant reptiles eating your friends, thinking that this kid's in shock um, his story is just fabrication, trying to deal with the trauma. And if he says this to the parents of the kids who just died, it's just going to make things worse. If, right. you, if you say some fabricated hallucination of a sea monster. So what you're, son, what you're you saying know? is the kid, Brian McCleary, yeah. 16 years old at the time, the lone survivor of this adventure we're about to recount. You're saying the reason that his police report or his initial press release that came out about the incident, it didn't mention the sea monster, bit, right. which is kind of important because... Allegedly, the uh, authorities advised him not to make that a yeah, part of his, the official statement. His preemptive statement was that the director of the Escambia County Search had initially advised him to keep quiet about the sea monster and let the matter fade away as an unfortunate tragedy at sea. Okay. So that's that's his accounting for that. But before we get into, did this happen, did it not, let's hear his story. Okay. Because it is definitely compelling. And where does this take place? Pensacola, Florida. Pensacola, Florida. Okay. Chris, can you make this a laconic account? <laughs> Ooh, I like that term. There was a monster. Shit happens. You knew what that word meant? Yeah, laconic. How'd you know that word? Clint Eastwood like. Uh, we actually listened to Hardcore History on the way to Texas, and he actually breaks down the definition. Where that comes from. Of laconic. Oh, really? There's a people in ancient Greece. They all spoke this way, but it made such an impression on the cultures around them that they were all, there was like yeah. a warrior culture. Oh, like, I, I believe, but the, I could be wrong, but I believe that it was a warrior class of people. They were very to the point people. Exactly. They were so focused on like efficiency and war. And Here, now. <laughs> all these things created this kind of, yeah, profoundness to it. That, it doesn't sound like they were very emotional beings probably. Then, I think huh? they were just that silent stoic. type. Yeah, stoic. Wait, was it the Spartans? I think it was the Spartans. Yeah, it was the Spartans. The Spart- you know, this is Sparta. That was the laconic people. So that famous line, John, that really good, you hear this all throughout, echoing through like Westerns and movies today, but that line, someone's like, hand over your weapons, hand over your guns. And then the the laconic phrase reply, come and take them. That's like a laconic sort of Clint Eastwood kind of thing. Go ahead. Make my day. There's this battle where the Spartans were holding off the largest army, like millions of people, the Persians or something. They were holding them off. And finally the negotiator came up and said, like, you don't want to mess with these people. So he convinces the king of Persia to go, and I could be completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is right, <laughs> uh, to go talk to the head Spartan dude, and he goes down, and he, you know, at this long diatribe, delivers the message of the Persians, like, we will make you rulers of your land if you just, you know, open the gates and don't fight. And there, it's like this group of like 400 or 300, mm-hmm. which the movie comes from, against this giant army. And after all this big... You don't have to give the whole background, just get to After that. the big <laughs> argument that the Persians give, the very wordy argument, they say, lay down your weapons, we'll give you this. Their single response is, come and take them. Oh, that's, that's it. funny. And then that became like, now you hear that all the time, Texas, right? Come and take them. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I fully expected you to not know that word. 
<laughs> Try another. I know most. Yeah, we got lucky. Basically, all those like '80s, '90s action movie catchphrases—they're pretty much iconic phrases mm. if you think about it. Interesting. Uh, what was that great? Uh, Laconia. Go ahead, punk. Make my day. Okay, exactly. yeah. So Laconia was a region of Greece, which there included the city of Sparta. So we, right. we we were there. Awesome. We were tangling all this together. Tangling. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this account happened March of 1965 in the waters around Pensacola, Florida. Four teenagers, Brad Rice, who's 14, Warren Felly, who's 16, Eric Riley, who's 16, and Stuart Bill, 17, along with Brian McCleary, 16, and he becomes the lone survivor later on and the author of the story. They were skin diving from a raft in the Gulf of Mexico when the tide began to carry them out to sea. McCleary was found sleeping on a beach the next day. The raft washed ashore with face masks, shoes, and fins inside. Now this is the story. On March 24, 1962, the five boys set out in a seven-foot Air Force life raft to the wreck of the USS Massachusetts. This is an above-water wreck on a sandbar about two miles from the coast. McCleary described the weather as a perfect day for skin diving and not a cloud in the sky. The water was calm. The boys took turns paddling towards the wreck. However, the weather rapidly deteriorated. White caps formed upon the water and the sky began to gray. The breeze was picking up. The boys decided to give up on the wreck and make it back to shore. Most of them would never make it. The tide began to carry the raft out in the open ocean. Two of the boys jumped out in an attempt to push the raft while the other two rowed, but it didn't help and they gave up. They tried to wave down a passing boat, but it didn't stop. McCleary pointed out a buoy about a mile in the distance. Hey guys, look, let's head for the buoy. And then began paddling toward it. The plan was to hook it with a drag anchor. As they neared it, the waves were threatening to swamp the raft. Only the inflated sides kept them afloat. They neared the buoy, but before McCleary could toss the drag anchor, the waves lifted the buoy up from its mooring and a riptide formed beneath. They looked at the 20-foot-tall red metal behemoth as McCleary stood up and hurled the anchor, like a lasso, at the buoy. Before the anchor reached the buoy, the raft was caught in the current and dragged straight toward the bottom of the buoy. McCleary yelled for everyone to jump as the buoy came down off the wave, smashing into the raft. Sally spotted the raft resurfacing. McCleary and Riley reached it first and were able to flip it over. They climbed back in as a cold driving rain began. They watched helplessly as the current pushed them past the Massachusetts. McCleary noted the wheelhouse sticking out of the water and wind roaring through the windows, making a sound like a siren. After a time, the wind and the rain and the waves subsided and a thick fog rolled in. McCleary describes the silence and stillness, writing, Not a wave rippled, not a fish broke water, not a seagull called. That reminds me there, you read about the Oz effect, that quiet before the mm-hmm. weirdness happens, before the high strangeness occurs, where everything gets silent, where all the before sounds... Before a tornado. Exactly. Eerily silent. He said that for the first time in his life, he was really scared. For the first time? Mm-hmm. Well, he pretty... was only 16, I think. Oh, okay. His friend, one of the other swimmers, Brad Rice, said, We're dead. We died in that storm. Yeah, basically making the point there that... It was so 
odd. It was felt so strange that everything just stopped. That they thought that after this chaos happened, you have this turmoil, the buoy lunging them, trying to take salvation on the buoy. And then right after that, after this chaos, water settles, fog rolls in. You can only see about 25 feet in front of you in all directions. It's very quiet. And then the water becomes oddly warm and you just feel like, is this the same reality? Did we die? Yeah. That's a, that, that seems like that's the point they were at. That's weird. Yeah. Rice began to panic. They tried to calm him down and decided all they could do was sit and wait. The fog limited them to 25 feet of visibility. The water, which had been notably cold at the beginning of the trip, was now unusually warm, yet this was only March. Bill suddenly bolted upright and said he heard a boat. No one else heard anything, but the air suddenly became thick with a sickening smell of dead fish. Forty feet away, a tremendous splash generated waves that reached the raft and broke over the edge. They heard another splash. And through the fog, they could see a shadowy form that looked like a telephone pole, ten feet tall with a bulbous shape on the top. It stood there for a moment, then bent in the middle and dove underwater. A high-pitched whine broke the silence, and the boys panicked. The five of them put on their swim fins and jumped into the water, which was covered in patches of crusty brown slime. That's bizarre, and I'll tell you why later. Is that tie in? Yeah. McCleary noted a slight current that he hoped would lead to the shore. Instead, they decided to try to reach the Massachusetts. Riley and McCleary took the lead, with the other three close behind. Whatever they had seen, they could now hear hissing and splashing behind them. The fog was clearing, but the water was getting rougher. It began raining again, and the water was getting colder. McCleary was beginning to get a cramp, so he started swimming with slow, deliberate strokes, more concerned with staying afloat. Riley was still nearby, and they would call back to Rice, Sally, and Bill. As they swam toward the wreck, they suddenly heard a scream, and Sally yelled that the monster had gotten Rice. But his yells were suddenly cut off by a short cry. Bill caught up with Riley and McCleary. The only sounds were the ocean and thunder. McCleary slipped into a fugue state, unaware of the ocean depth or what was out there, and imagined sinking peacefully to the bottom. The pain in his legs snapped him back to reality, and he realized Bill had vanished. He and Riley dove under, but there was no sign of Bill. Riley grimaced and also went underwater. He was cramping up badly. McCleary had him wrap his arms around him and began swimming. They struggled through the water for several hours. Wow. Night had fallen, and the two struggled onward in the dark, waves breaking over their heads. Imagine that would be terrible. Yeah. This is where it gets freaky. Yeah. Pretty freaky already. I mean, if you consider everything that's going on, especially that moment where well, yeah. they see this 10-foot-tall telephone pole silhouette come up in the fog. Yeah. Yeah, so this 10-foot telephone pole-shaped silhouette emerges from the water with a bulbous top and then oh, yeah. a high-pitched whine. Like and shrieking. it bends at its half point and dips back. Can you imagine seeing that while you're swimming out in the middle of the ocean? I mean, I just pass out of fear. Yeah. Well, it sounded like that's what McCleary was thinking. Remember that said that fugue state where he just all of a sudden started thinking about floating at the bottom of the ocean? Yeah. It's one of those like trauma situations where it's like you just you just go into shock. You don't want to deal with what's going to happen yeah, next. You, your brain tries to go somewhere else. Yeah, it sounds horrible. It's terrifying. 
Don't go swimming. We're getting a lot of hate mail from this. People like, don't scare people from the ocean. The ocean's awesome. It's awesome, but from the beach. We don't have flippers or gills. Although we are designed that we can hold our breath like two or three times as long when we're underwater. It's a dive reflex, yeah. They mm. call it the dive reflex. So there, there are reasons why we, but just not in the ocean. Stick to lakes. Lakes are scary too. Yeah, there's plenty of lake monsters. That's why I want to mention the Seneca Lake Monster. Seneca, New York. This lake monster from like the 1800s or something. I'll have it linked in the show notes. I won't go into the story, but... There's an interesting point. One of the things they describe is this creature had this uh, horny, brown, slimy brine on it. Mm -hmm. And the steamship that saw this creature, when they noticed it, uh, they decided to charge it to kill it. <laughs> so they charge it. Then all these all the people on board are screaming and stuff. They go For some reason, the captain's like, I'm going to get this thing. Charges it, uh, supposedly rams it, snaps its spine, and the women are screaming and the men are cheering as this thing <laughs> sinks into right. the sea or sinks into the lake. And then they they hook it, they pull it back up because they want to bring it to shore. And right as they were pulling it in, the rope slips off the tail and it slides back down and they couldn't retrieve Arr. it. But it had double rows of teeth, just like in a lot of these reports. Although this one's more uh, full-bodied, not serpentine as much. But mm -hmm. it's an interesting story. I'll put it in the show notes. But definitely. That's awesome. Kudos to that, Captain Man. Ram it down. Ram it. What's the famous Jaws line? Oh, yeah. We're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. going to need a bigger boat. Although we cover that Mandela effect, I think it's actually a different line. Shut up. Okay. Continuing <laughs> on with the story. <laughs> Just about when McCleary was about to give up, a lightning strike lit up the sky and they saw the silhouette of the Massachusetts. A wave broke over them and the two separated. Another bolt of lightning showed Riley ahead of him, swimming toward the ship. The creature surfaced next to Riley. McCleary noted the long neck and small eyes. The mouth opened. And it dove on top of Riley. McCleary screamed and swam past the ship. He didn't remember swimming the two miles from the wreck to the shore. He slept in an abandoned watchtower until the morning when fishermen spotted him. It's pretty messed up. So he lost all of his friends. Yeah, this thing. Pretty and he tragic. watched this thing eat them, essentially. Or like pull them underwater. Well, one guy. One guy. Oh, the yeah. rest just disappeared behind him, right? Two of them that were behind, mm -hmm. he heard one yell that the monster had got the other. And then when he and his friend tried to go back, couldn't find him. And then the other guy that was next to him, I think it was Brad, he vanished under the water. And then the one getting eaten at the end. It's tragic that this is a real story. We yeah. have like, I have a shot of this. I'll put in the show, it's an image of the actual news report. Four kids die, yeah. one survivor in this, you know, experience. And at that time, they didn't know that there was a sea monster involved. But I what's mean, weird is this they... This is in the 70s? 60s, 65 or 62. Guy, is this guy still alive? He died in 2016. Really? Yeah, and he never gave... I don't think he ever gave any interviews or anything about it, right? Except He for gave this. one interview... Well, there was a, a cryptozoologist that wrote him, you know, maybe like a decade or two later and asked him for some more details because he, he said he had an account that was startling similar to his. And so he gave some more information there. But no, he didn't seek. He wasn't seeking more publicity. He didn't do like a tour. Yeah, he did this one traumatic, story. I'm sure. And the original interview, if you guys want to check it out, it's in Fate Magazine. I didn't have it, so I went off the good luck finding the reporting it. on forty forty and Times reporting. It's out of print, and I don't. I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah, which is why we we kind but of stuck I, with this. But, but we did find the original news article though. Yeah, and so I mean, at the end of the day, and I should probably get this guy's name real quick, but the guy who wrote this article, his name is David Goodsword. You know, uh, he leans more towards that McCleary made this up. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Well, one argument I heard was Why? that it, he had a nervous breakdown. His So Brad Rice, one of his friends who died, his body washed up on shore a week later. And 
I think it was at that point, I think that McCleary, Brian McCleary had a nervous breakdown for like three months. And people argued that he basically in the nervous breakdown, his brain created this to explain what happened, this tragedy that there was this monster and it kind of put that in his head, which I think is kind of a thin, I mean, that's, you can blame anything on, well, he went crazy. Yeah. You know, what I, I want to talk about a couple things that David Goodsword um, brings up, which are interesting skepticisms related to this story. But I, I'd like to talk about it because I think some of them are, you can definitely argue the other way. Right. So like one of the things he talks about a lot is like the placement of the buoy that came down on them, the color. Like he said, indeed, there's a red buoy nearby there, but it's like two miles from that location. Um, and it has a flashing light and a bell, or it did at the time. So they should have seen a light and that wasn't mentioned. There was a black one that was more where they were, but McCleary said it was red. So little details, I feel like, and after an experience like that, you might not remember exactly all right. the details. So sure, is that a possible sign of fabrication? Yeah, definitely. Is it also a possible sign of shock or right. post-traumatic right. stress? Absolutely. Um, another one, I think one of the hardest skeptical points to argue, which he makes here, I think, is the monetary gain. Oh, right. So when he wrote this story for Fate Magazine, McCleary... It was three years after his the actual experience, right? I think it was longer than that. It was, wasn't it 62 to 65, I thought? He was uh, 16 when the experience happened. He was uh -huh. in... I think college when he wrote Fate Magazine article. No, the Fate Magazine article came out in 65. So it was three years after the experience with 1960. Okay, anyway, so he writes this for Fate and this is the first time we have the aspect of the sea serpent in this account. Why I don't think the monetary gain argument makes any sense is because he would have made what today is roughly 340 bucks or something for the story. Now, do you think that you would need $340 that badly that you would make up a story about how several of your friends yeah, died yeah. and they were eaten by sea monsters. That doesn't seem like enough money to me to do right. that. It's obviously not for fame because he didn't continue I mean, on. That doesn't make sense at all. I think it's more likely that he lost his mind than that. Right. Yeah, if it didn't happen. Right. right. The case for it happening is obviously that there are stories, and this takes place in Florida, and the stories we're going to be talking about are up, up the East Coast, up north in the colder waters of Maine and uh, Massachusetts. But it's still on the East Coast, and you've had you know sightings down there for centuries too, in, in Florida and off the coast of different kinds of sea creatures. So to say, like, there's a history of this kind of stuff. Some, someone experienced this when his friends died, and just say, well, there's no way you can prove it. He must be lying for money. I mean, right. you can say that, but there's no way to know. I think you can make arguments on both sides. I think the reason, one of the reasons why this author leaned more towards the skeptical point is because it is kind of a dangerous thing to talk about when you've got families who had their right. children die. I think people want to just tend to not support the crazier idea. Right. Well, even if you if you have a loved one who's murdered, you you see that all the time, like well, in movies and TV shows, but in, in actual documentaries too, where they're talking about someone who was wrongly convicted, it's so traumatic that they don't they don't want to consider that someone else did it. Mm -hmm. You know, even if the evidence mounting up, you're you're so it's such a painful experience yeah. to say like so. Imagine going from like. It wasn't Steve, it was Jack that killed him and he's roaming free. And oh yeah. It, then jumping to like, it was a sea monster named Jack that right. killed him. <laughs> yeah. Like those kind of jumps really hard right. to do. And I totally get that too. Like I totally yeah. get that point. Like I think it, it's got, it's a sensitive thing for sure. I mean, the probably the most kind of sensitive thing you yeah. could be dealing with. If you died and I said, I thought that maybe a ghost killed you, but it would feel less serious. People wouldn't take it seriously. I, you know, what do you, what story do you want to tell? You know what right. I mean? Or believe. The truth. The truth. Thank you, John. Here in the hole, it's all about the truth. So yeah, I thought that was a pretty crazy tale. So I just wanted to share it. What do you guys think, you know, take it with a grain of salt and, and with your there's, own there's critical one, mind? I mean, I think out of all the places on earth, like the ocean is by far the most uncharted. Oh, yeah. Know? I mean, anything could be in the ocean, including mm -hmm. aliens that are not aliens, but they look like aliens. 
What? What? Well, I mean, like. <laughs> talking about octopuses oh, you're talking again? about like maybe a Octopi? race of humanoid creatures that have been on Earth for yes, thousands of years that aren't really from another planet, but they just live here in, underwater in places we have yet to know. About. That's very possible. One one skeptical argument for the specific attack, the Pensacola, is the confusion with this supposed sea monster in the area and the, the sperm whale, the North Atlantic right whale. I've and it sounds silly. I kind of was very skeptical about this explanation, the skeptical explanation. But when you look at the bottom of the neck, or basically under the mouth, going down towards the flippers, mm-hmm. I'm trying to find a good picture of it. There's a comparison that shows uh, what it looks like, and it looks like it doesn't have this part of the body, and all that's left is kind of like this long neck with a head. Oh, I've heard that argument. So you can make that mistake. Yeah, but it doesn't go ten feet above the water. Well, it's also it stays away from humans. It's rare in the area. I think they're not there anymore. They weren't there years ago, so the timeline doesn't match up. And they're you know vegetarians, so right. Well, in that area, or they're, they're not people either, in the so Gulf. There's been a bunch of uh, accounts that really relate to this story. Yeah, we'll have the articles linked in the show notes. In 1889, the Los Angeles Daily Herald reported Captain James P. Hare of the Trinity Shoal Lightship off the mouth of the Mississippi River killed another behemoth. Ooh, another one. Yeah, there was a previous account. Captain Hare describes it as, quote, John, if you want to read, be the captain, the sea captain. Hideous a creature, that part? But you got to be a captain, though. Hideous a creature as ever the human eye rested upon. I found it impossible to name or classify this monster. Good. <laughs> Hare and his crew armed themselves and approached the sea serpent in a small boat. The monster began thrashing wildly when Hare fired at close range and then opened its mouth, revealing large tusk-like teeth and charged. According to Hare, that creature sees the sighted gun. <laughs> so, I love that all captains, no matter where they are, have this accent. <laughs> The creature seized the size and gunwale of our boat and crushed it as easily as though it was made of glass. Using the captain's rifle, axes, hatchets, and harpoons, the crew finally killed the Leviathan. And Hare cut off the head and took it back to the ship. Hare described the creature thusly. The serpent was rusty black on top, fading to a yellowish white on the underpart. Part. Ooh, it's underparts. On the underbosom. There you go. While he was not able to judge its overall length, he claimed that at least 40 to 50 feet of the animal was visible under the water. No mention was made of what happened to the severed head. Unfortunately, that'd be good to know. There's another account I'm going to skip, but the reason why I want to mention it is because they corroborate your upcoming oh, story share with greenish back, which caused it to look black in the water. The underbelly was yellow. Again, this like white or yellow underbelly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, John, why don't you go ahead and read? This one's pretty incredible. Okay. According to the Washington... Wait, you don't have to be a sea captain for this one. (laughs) According to the Washington Times, Henry Nelligan, the steamer Arata's third officer, filed a report with the U.S. Navy's hydrographic office in which he wrote, quote, We passed a large sea serpent appearing about 100 feet long, the head had a blunt, square nose and was ejecting water to the height of two or three feet from its nostrils. That's important from nostrils. Remember that. The animal had three distinct sets of fins and a tail lying across like a porpoise. And its back was a series of humps like a camel. It was heading east and moving slowly. End quote. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting, especially the snorting. Yeah. Right? That's a common thing. The, that couldn't be like a 
like a, a breaching whale or something. Yeah. Yes, except in the interview that we're going to hear that's going to terrify your butt off. John. Well, that's a blowhole. It's not really nostrils. You could argue maybe a. I don't know if yeah, porpoises. You could say that's like, you could say that's a concoction. Like, well, could, they saw something. I feel like you could get that confused, right? But what I'm trying to say is that when we come to that interview later, that's going to scare your butt off, John. Again, butts off. Is they describe that exact thing. It's it snorted right. water and it hissed at us, and the hissing was heard in that first story we heard exactly. from from 30 years earlier, right? In the 60s, in a different part of the coast, right? You know, yeah, it's 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 creepy. Like the more I looked into this the more I started to think there was something to these stories. I mean, I always wanted yeah. to believe in, in Nessie. Yeah. And you've heard about Champ, you know, in Lake Champlain, all these things when Nessie you're was up. my first love in this whole field. And when I was sixth grade, I did that whole demonstration in class because I wanted to be a cryptozoologist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, but then, I, you know, over time, you're like, they never found it in Loch Ness. They've tried so many times and I've followed it for a long time. And you kind of lose that. But now hearing stories and some that are just actually terrifying. Especially in the ocean. Yeah. You know, we also looked at the angle of the summoning of the maybe a demonic or Ooh, demagogue yeah. with oh, Alistair Crowley. Crowley, like that episode we did. Great episode. But so there's other ways to consider these things. So you kind of lose the interest in the physical animal until until you hear stories like this. Yeah. Right. And we're going to get back to this after the break with some some even crazier yep. stories. Travel up Do the coast. I feel like, you know... If Bigfoot can be real, then sea monsters for oh, sure. Oh, be so much oh, yeah. easier. Much well, more likely. We've only explored, what, 5% of the ocean or something crazy like that? Yeah, I think like it might even be less than that. Yeah. Oh, the giant squid. That was a cryptid for a long time until they found right. giant squid. Well, look, they're all like if you look. <laughs> they're rare. I mean, they're, they, they live really deep down. People in back in the day used to draw them all the time. Oh, the sea oh, monsters? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's actually, there's, I mean, all those old maps that have like the beasties and the, and, you know, dragons be here, that kind of yeah. thing. Like, um, I was just looking at this before we did this episode and I was like, man, this would be a cool one to do for like an expansion, just focus on these different creatures. But I have one coming up after the break. There's just a little taste of it. Uh, just some of the crazy stuff that might have been out there. This is just more uh, something that's the size of it and, and kind of a story that goes along with it is that's crazy. Is there any evidence of dragons? Yeah, I thought about that before this episode. <laughs> I was like, because I was thinking about the Japanese fishermen that discovered that supposed plesiosaur skeleton mm. that they think is a, a basking shark. Basking shark. Um, and that's interesting. We won't go into that. But then I was thinking about Asia and I was thinking about the history of dragons and the serpents. A lot mm. of them were- Everywhere in the world. A lot of them were underwater or they could go through mm-hmm. air and water. And you know, there's always the idea that were they dinosaurs misidentified? Were, were dinosaurs living at the time? Right. They experience these living dragons. some overlap. Or are there just dragons, man? I have a whole tab of uh, pages saved from two days ago where I spent two hours just looking at possible dragon oh, seriously? evidence. Oh, really? And then I just, I saved it on, in a bookmark just we in case we did brains. it somehow. Because I, I, that was my favorite thing. Like in third grade, I was a big King Arthur guy. Yeah. Loved dragons. I had dragon posters. Nerd I was super cool. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much pathology behind dragons. Yeah. Like, well, it's it's such a global thing, and I think I mean, and we should do an episode on that. It had to come well, from somewhere. Well, absolutely. I think if you're gonna be skeptical, right? I think the most logical explanation is that people in ancient cultures found skeletal dinosaur remains and then imagined what could this be? This is something that probably still exists. But I like to think that there is evidence, or you know, at least hope, that they lived alongside some remnant of dinosaur that, you know, pterodactyl, there's still pterodactyl sightings mm-hmm. today. Like where, Obviously, is, still where does the fire breathing come from? That could be, I mean, there's always exaggeration. It's their fire bladders that are under right I know, below but the why jaw. would you, you know, why Why would that be something <laughs> be common, you'd think? Maybe yeah. just because it was so much more Well, terrifying. they did find that skeleton recently in that um, wizard's castle. Fire breathing dragon. <laughs> did you see <laughs> that buried under the stone? Maybe because <laughs> when they first started, fire was still fairly like, you know, amazing still and new. <laughs> fire is so like, you know, passe. Well, it was, well I mean, you know what I mean? Like right, it, it was, was supernatural. Like, yes. Yeah. Fire was like, 
it was a big part of their lives and it was dangerous right. and you know we used it for protection and destruction and it was just like right. it's a like a force technology of nature yeah. i always had this thought that uh when i was you know when i was super into dragons uh <laughs> like third, third grade or whatever two years ago might have been sixth grade um do you have them on your trapper keeper i did no i had quantum leap uh the whole like intro monologue striving to put right where once went wrong anyway uh wow that's super nerdy i was a cool I kid too i had the same thing let me finish my thought so dragons, right? So, but my hypothesis in sixth grade was that uh, what if the alchemical composition that allowed them to breathe this fire to create this combustion from their mouth, this sort of chemical in their yeah. body? What if it was corrosive enough that once they died, the active ingredient that would block it from hurting themselves was no longer there? So that's why you don't have skeletons because that corrosive chemical compound would just eviscerate the skeletal structure. Therefore, no evidence. That's a great theory. Yeah. That's probably the case. That or the <laughs> wizards hid them all, which I think is also possible. <laughs> the wizards. The wizards of Voltaire. Because wizards go with dragons, right? That's kind of a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they fly like their pets. on their backs. Yeah. Oh, that's weird synchronicity. The story coming up here right after the break is about a cartographer from uh, Catalonia that uh, was hired by the king of Aragon. Aragon. Aragon is the name of that famous Strider children's book Oh, about... Taming your dragon. I thought you were talking about Lord of the Rings. Aragon was the name of the dragon. What a weird synchronicity. Sorry, that just happened and I just, I had to say it. Okay, let's take a break and when we get back, we're going to scare your socks off with some real stories and you're going to hear from the voices of people who are terrified by things in the sea. Pretty traumatic. We'll be back if you're lucky. Expansion preview, time slips, and glitches and glitches in reality. Access granted. All right, you ready, John? You ready yep. to give us a story? My friend and I were rescued by entities in the Texas panhandle. Yeah, this story is one of those good uh, Reddit stories, but it's not creepypasta. It's supposed to be real, so let's hear what his story is. My friend and I were rescued from the ditch during a snowstorm by little phantom people. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. Sorry. Why don't you laugh at it's that? It's just funny because you, you preempted this with, uh, and this is real. This is supposed to be real. It just The beginning first sentence is a lot to digest. Little phantom people. We've heard, yeah. we've heard about a lot of these I cases. know. That's true. God. The setup was funny. While returning to New Mexico from a visit to my friend's house. Oh, that was funny. Okay. <laughs> While returning to New Mexico from a visit to my friend's family in Iowa, we were caught in a snowstorm on the Texas Panhandle. We were on Highway 60, right outside of a town called Canadian. Have you seen that town, John? No. Hmm. Canadian, Texas is there. I looked. So far, so true. A town called Canadian when we went off the road in his little Honda car. We tried digging it out and using the floor mats for traction, but to no avail. We could see what appeared to be the lights of a farmhouse nearby, and although it was 2 a.m., we elected to knock on the door and see if we could get help instead of freezing to death in a rare Texas blizzard out in the middle of nowhere. So that's your first cue. Maybe this isn't quite the reality you're used to. Texas blizzard, very rare. Continue. A tiny old woman answered the door, and I mean tiny. Four foot something, an ancient to boot. 
We explained that we were stuck and needed to pull out of the ditch and how far to the next town, etc. Her tiny, maybe five foot something ancient husband came out and said he'd pull us out with Zuzu and to follow him to the barn. Out in the barn was an old Ford high boy with a CB radio and a 357 revolver in the front seat pocket. We all climbed in the cab. He rubbed the dash and said, Come on, Zuzu. And proceeded to take <laughs> us to where we had gone off road and yanked the little car out with no problem. We made it to Canadian and stayed in the nastiest roach motel I had ever been in and slept on top of the covers with all my clothes on. The next day we drove back to New Mexico with no other incidents. Since I was on Highway 60 pretty regularly, I figured I'd stop in during the day and drop off a gift and say thanks next time I was in the area. The problem is that right outside of Canadian Texas, on Highway 60 near that curve, there is no house. Mm. No little old people, no barn, no Zuzu either. I've driven by there a dozen times since we went off the road that night in December, and I pulled up the area on Google Maps, and there is just no trace of them. My buddy and I just concluded that guardian angels got us unstuck from the snow and vanished. Interesting. So not a time slip so much as maybe a reality overlay. Just trying it back to see if it was a safe time to uh, complete it. <laughs> uh, who is this again? Uh, it's Ohio Department of Health. Uh, I've never talked to you before. Uh, it looks like we had uh, called uh, the 16th of October. I think you have the wrong number because I definitely didn't talk to anyone from the health department. Okay, and just to uh, make sure uh, you, it is your telephone? Yes. Okay, well, uh, I will put that in here, and um, thank you very much. Yep, have a good night. Goodbye. <laughs> Leonard, to you be clear, I'm, steal on, it? I'm on my own phone. <laughs> I thought for sure that was uh, a robot at first. Yeah, oh, I was thinking it was like a some poll question call or something, you know. Oh, this is Leonard. It did seem thwarted a little that you were not who was supposed to have been called before. He sounded like the main cop from Reno 911. Sorry, my brakes are getting squirrely on me. Yeah, I did. I wonder who was calling about. You should have continued. I was hoping you were like going to go with your name or anything, or it was just. I don't think so. That's odd. I'd been like, who do you think this is? At first, I was going to be like a general survey about like men's health in the in Ohio or something, and you would be a prime specimen. Oh, maybe. Did you talk to them? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, do you need to call Leonard back? (laughs) No, it was with the chick though. You mean a lady? Was it from the Department of Health? Um. Yeah, I think so. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so did you call them before? No, I, it was it was like a survey. Oh, and and, actually, uh, it, I went for a long time. It was I because it was like <laughs> you're like a you're like a lonely old person. I I can't remember why. It was like I wanted to see what it was about because I I just can't remember exactly. You're just curious. Why. It was one of your yeah. curious moods. I was in a very curious mood, and I was walking. And you're like, what is this person's job like? Let's have a conversation. She seemed like kind of friendly, so I was just joking with her. I was like saying it was just the dumbest questions. How long was the conversation? I talked to her for probably about 10 minutes and, and she they, said she was only a quarter of the way done. I was gonna and say. I was like, well, I'm going to go now. And she's <laughs> like, okay. Oh, poor Leonard. He thinks you've stolen John's phone. I don't care. It threw me off because that was not the guy I talked to. Yeah. It was a, it was a girl. chick. Mm-hmm. It was a chickadee. Well, welcome back. Leonard will not be joining us for the remainder of this podcast, but we may call him back. Um, this, John, this is an oarfish. 
This is what most people uh, skeptically argue that the what people are experiencing, especially in that Pensacola one, sea serpents are as uh, sea serpents. But it, this doesn't make sense because we're the, douches when we play video. On I our know, podcast. but they're going to be in the show notes. I'm going to try to add. You can stuff follow along. These get up to 50 feet. Largest of the bony fish. Yeah, that does not make sense to me. I mean, it's weird looking. I can, I can see how like ancient stuff, but, that's, but it doesn't describe what. But ancient people weren't dumb. They just didn't, you know, they weren't as familiar if they weren't right. out on boats very often. It's a monster fish. It's not a sea monster. Anyways, it does not explain a lot of the descriptions of like what we see. They're trying to say that's like when it's flipping through the water, that's what makes humps. I, right? good I, can, I can get, you see, it does make humps. There, I mean, our shots were, but they're usually when there are a couple swimming around and you, I mean, I could see like a short window of a that thing is crazy. encounter where you'd be like, oh, that's a, that's a sea serpent, you know, but it doesn't mm-hmm. explain like the actual attacks and the, or coming out of the water 10 feet and right. yeah. snorting water That at thing you. is only like, oh, I guess it's probably like 20 feet maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, I think like they the, can get up to 40 or 50 feet. Again, no, that's the basking shark. Again, we are linking this in the show notes. These, Dude, get, these get up to 50 feet. Looking. Look how shiny it is. Yeah, very shiny. It's pretty. One, the, it also- wait, Go further. That's how shiny. Yeah, very shiny. It's pink. It's got pink furls on it. It's, it's very fun. It's got a lot of flair. But it, it also doesn't. Um, it, Shiny. It doesn't look like the description. It's it, first of all, it's silver. It's not green or mucky brown with a white belly. Yeah. You know. No, it does not match. To I me mean, at come all. on. I think the North uh, American right whale. I think that's what it was we talked about before the break. Is more likely. The basking shark has this big nose, kind of thing where its actual skull is. So if the, if the bottom jaw breaks off, then it kind of looks like a plesiosaur skeleton. I can see that argument for some of these experiences, but not while it's alive. That right. doesn't make sense. Let's hear the story Unless of the couple, Unless he got his Jared. jaw broken off in real life. That's true, but I don't think you'd live very long if you couldn't eat. Yeah, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised how long fish can live without a jaw. Okay, so this was kind of a cool story. <laughs> so before we get into the really scary story, which is coming up in a moment here, uh, we talked about the maps and the, the beasties that are on there. This, this comes from a uh, 14th, 15th century uh, cartographer, Catalonian cartographer named uh, Machia de Vila Destes. He was around from like the end of the 1300s to the early 1400s. Um, he was sent on expeditions, a lot of expeditions for uh, the King of Aragon, which is uh, which contained uh, Catalonia and other areas in Spain at the time. Oh, I didn't um, know that. I didn't either. So he created a nautical chart in 1413 that included, and we'll have this in the show, it's, it's pretty cool, included the Northern Ocean and specifically west of Norway, there's this depiction that was representative of these accounts of basically great whales that were mistaken for land masses. So much so that awesome. ships would dock on them and set fires to keep themselves warm. Surely that's folklore. This is an excerpt from the map, the description. This sea is called Mar Bocciano, and therein are found great fish, which sailors take to be small islands, and take up their quarters on these fish. And the sailors land on these islands and make fires, and cause such heat that the fish feels it and sets itself in motion, and they have no time to get on board and are lost. And those who know this land on the said fish and there make thongs of its back and make fast the head of the ship's anchor. And in this way, they flay the skin off the fish, whereof they make ropes for their ships and of the skin are made good coverings for haystacks. So this is suggested in this legend folklore that these great fish that uh, that sailors would basically land on them, create fires, and then what? have to... Yeah, they thought that they were land masses, small islands. And by the time they set the fire, the heat would wake up the fish. It would swim down and they would... You could use the anchor and stuff to skin it and use the body parts for materials for their ships and things. What, what is this thing called? Very likely true. Is that next to the uh, 
thing that slides down the hill with its slide. Oh yeah, the uh, slide, slide rock bolter. <laughs> that was from our expansion episode, guys. We'll link that in the show notes. That was a great. Did great you one. know, Jeremy? As yeah. you're describing this, and this is what you said: thirteen hundreds to fourteen hundred. Fourteen thirteen is when this map was made. Okay. Well, did you know that in twelfth century? Uh-huh. So I guess that would be thirteen hundreds. No, no, no. That would be eleven hundreds. Okay. Well, math. Um, the Hufgufa is an Icelandic sea monster the size of an Shut island. Up. It's like whale-like. Shut yeah. up, because this is in this is in the northern seas west of Norway. Right, exactly. It's the name of a massive sea what? monster reported. Just corroborated island whales. Reported in the Orvar Odds saga to have existed in the Greenland Sea. It's a different sea. Uh, which was said to disguise itself as an island or pair in the northern seas. Rocks. Rising from the sea. That's, yeah. that's bizarre. I mean, it man. Could, obviously you could say it's just a weird probably folklore. They're they're very close together. If these stories just exist in the northern seas, that'd be kind of interesting, right? If there wasn't a parallel. Eh, I mean, I'm sure they traded. It's probably probably traded stories. I'm saying these traded stories, but what if it doesn't exist anywhere else? What if it's just the Northern Seas are known for these island-sized whales and fish? There's a kraken up there too. Anyways, I want to hear about what that couple has to say. All right, let's get it from the horse's mouth, or in this case, the uh, Falls River's couple's mouth. So this YouTube video, I'm going to probably re-upload this because some random person uploaded it, and they titled it "Crazy Fall River Family." Which I don't. Oh, think, that's mean. I don't think they're crazy. Uh, I think they're. They seem very genuine. Yeah, they seem very affected by this. Um, crazy Fall River family attacked by a sea monster, and we'll link this in the show. Anyone's notes. crazy that it has an experience like that. People say, bad people. <laughs> oh, that they're crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's true, John. Good observation. They're bad peoples. This is a really intense experience from Maine. Eyewitness account caught on the news. So if the news interviewed him shortly after. Mm-hmm. I think later is this in the day. A YouTube clip or something. It's on YouTube. I think I might put it up on our channel because it's from the, it's from a news channel, but. The only place I could find it was some random person that uploaded it to okay. their channel. The uh, the argument is that this could be Cassie. Now, Cassie is from uh, Cape Casco, okay. which is in the New England area, very close to where all these sightings have happened since the 1700s, 1600s. Tons of them up there. Tons. Um, way more than Florida, I think. And all very similar, uh, most very similar. These are the serpentine of them, experiences. Yeah, and so we're going to play this clip, and then we have some accounts that are going to corroborate what this, these people experience. And I guarantee you, it's unlikely that these people have an understanding of the history of this creature oh, yeah, in the area, sure. and yet they corroborate it with an eyewitness account. with Lauren Coleman? No, that's that's after uh, Lauren Coleman, interestingly, he coined the name Cassie. Oh, really? For the uh, Cape Casco monster. And it has corroborates the same thing with the kind of greenish skin, dark the white skin, but the white stripe under the neck. And so he, I think he believes it's like a mammal, potentially. Yeah. But instead of a reptile. I would argue that all the case in the area, you know, not to disagree with Lauren, because he's a great guy, does awesome work, but I, it just seems like it works with all of these other experiences in that area in New England. Off- Why aren't there snakes with white underbellies? Or is that just like a Disney thing? I'm sure there are. There's plenty of reptiles with white bellies. Frogs. But they're usually not 100 feet long, snorting water. Salamanders. I think those are both amphibians. <laughs> You'll hear accounts of the swimming <laughs> of this thing. I think so. Is it a reptile? Isn't it? I don't think so. I think it's a... No, it's not. It's an amphibian, isn't reptiles it? Reptiles and amphibians, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, kind of like humans. Okay, are we going to play this or just Yes, I'm just going to keep interrupting. It. The thing you'll notice in these encounters coming up too that's distinct is the swimming style. That kind of up and right. down motion, right? Or like side to side. Snakes go side to side in the water. So these they go up and down too. Mm-hmm. What snakes? Yeah. What are you sometimes, talking about? Sometimes. You know what you're smiling to me means you're just <laughs> they go whoop pulling my leg. Okay, anyways. Maybe they do. You'll hear accounts where they kind of switch back and forth from the snake line serpentine to the humping. To the humping. Mm. They hump a lot in these waters. Mm. Lots of humping. Okay, so let's let's play this clip. 
This has been a summer of frightening animals in Rhode Island. A piranha in Coventry, an alligator piranha. in Lincoln, Ooh, and only now one? an unknown scary creature scary. in Portsmouth. Whatever it was, was so big and so scary, a Fall River couple thought they were going to die. It's a story That's intense. only here on Eyewitness News. The couple spoke exclusively with our Sean Daly. Sean joins us now with their amazing ordeal. <laughs> this guy's awesome. Anything quite like this around wow. here before. Old news. Imagine 90s news. mindlessly. In the late afternoon, mindlessly. all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a huge, horrifying creature, roughly 15 feet long, rocks your world. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So 90s. Tuesday afternoon here at Teddy's Beach in Portsmouth. What happened gives new meaning to this danger sign. Very real. It's still hard for her, isn't it? Yeah, she's... She went to a counselor to talk to a counselor this morning. She had to go to a counselor that day to talk to someone. It was low tide, and Rachel Carney was out beyond the danger sign, floating on her back, relaxing, when big trouble struck. I turned around, I heard a hissing. A hissing sound. A hissing? So I, mm -hmm. stopped, I looked beside me, and all I seen was a face come up with these big teeth, and I just remember the face being like shaped like a basketball, and the face went in. I kind of stepped in and then went like squared off. Triangle. And had all white. And it kept swimming around me. It rubbed up against my leg. So I, I, I just stopped. And I pretended like I wasn't moving. That's when it rubbed up, went down, and kept going around me. Oh, it rubbed up against like, your leg? Up, up against my leg. It touched you? It touched me. That's how I knew it was scary. Scary? With scales, because I felt the scales and plus I seen the face. So I started swimming away. I yelled, Danny, help me. Something's chasing me. Rachel Carney's fiance, Dennis Cellos, yeah. had been fishing with a buddy on these rocks. He raced into the water. This guy's so Stallone. It's going to get her. I grabbed her by the ass. Rear end. I grabbed her by the ass. Is it a rear end? Whipped her in. We're over our head. I says, yeah. just, I says, I whipped her in. I says, Rachel, just swim. Don't turn around no matter what you hear, right? Just so alone. It's crazy. He's scared. You can hear it. Now, I stood there, and the thing's going, like, around me and stuff, all right? And I can see how big it is and stuff, and it's gigantic, okay? It has scales on it and stuff. Now, all of a sudden, from me to you away, this big head comes up. Honestly, I've never seen nothing like this before in my life. It's like a, a basketball. It's like this big, okay? It comes up, and it's got these fangs, like my fingers, right? The first... This many in the bottom, and about two or three at the top, plus layers inside, okay? The double rows. Double rows, yeah. And it's like blackish on the top a little bit, and it's got a couple of scales that you can see and stuff, and you can see the white starting under its neck. Here it is. And it shoots water out of its nose, right? And out of its mouth, it goes like this to me. It goes... And it spit the water out of me. Now I think it's going to kill me, you know what I mean? Imagine that. Freaky. The group thinks the creature was attracted to blood from a nasty injury to Joey Malo's leg. Joey was out in the water as he is right now, cleaning his leg. Joey, how That's much ridiculous. blood was there? I bled for an hour and a half. And <laughs> what is going on? Stop. He's just washing his leg in the water for an hour and a half, bleeding. Joey's chumming the water. <laughs> All right, let her, let her finish the story. I will not ever go in salt water again. Because I am that scared. I thought I was dead that day, honestly. I didn't think he was going to make it in time to get me. I just thought I was dead. I thought it was a fauna. At first, I thought it was an eel, okay? Because it was when it was rolling first, right? 
it would roll and you could see the white and stuff. But when it got to chase her, it was going like this. Make like a serpentine motion. You know what I mean? Like they go a little bit like this, like a hump sort of. It's Humps, yeah. Like a, uh, a barracuda, similar, yeah. like that, all right? Uh, man, I, you're still in the moment right now, two days later. You're still, still in this I'm moment, are you? This. I am flipped over this. this I, I, seen, I went to bed. I've been going to bed with things grabbing me, wrapping around my neck, choking, fighting underground and everything. Man, that's trauma right there. Still a mystery what the creature was. State environmental agents checked out the scene today and found nothing. So the best guess comes from a marine experts we checked with. They figure it may have been some sort of a tropical fish that migrated here with a warm... Gulf. Another badger. <laughs> mother, mother ocean. Mother, mother ocean. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Dude. I love people's people's explanations. Probably a tropical fish of a some small sort story. came in with a warm breeze. Mother, mother ocean. Mother, mother ocean. <laughs> it's so funny because always these explanations to her are hilariously amazing. When there's something like this that's so vivid and real and descriptive and they say, we've talked to marine biologists and most suggest that a tropical fish has swum into the bay. You know, was that right. something like that? Like a... You know, a rare tropical well, yeah, fish, but you're like a warm. Does that sound stream. like razor no. teeth, basketball sized head what's, with scales and fangs? Right. What's weird about that, though, is like, I mean, those people definitely saw something and they seem pretty traumatized. Yeah, by it. I, I don't, I believe them. I just like, where is it? Like, where'd it go? Mm -hmm. Like, that was a, like a place where people are all right. the time. And if this thing is a predator, you know, in a, a highly populated area, how come no one else has ever seen it? Well, I people think, have, I, but not many times. Right, though. right, and they're spread out. And I think it's because, well, this is again, this one is that thing sounded mad too. Like it yeah. hissed at him. Like is didn't this like in, him being there? Is this in an enclosed lake or is no, it's it, a bay for the ocean? I believe. That's think, what I thought. Yeah. yeah, that's a bay for the ocean. Mm -hmm. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hold on, where did they say at the beginning where it is? Fall Rivers, the community. Yeah, Portsmouth, it's right on the water. Yeah, then. Massachusetts is Bay, the Bay there. Okay, I thought it was Maine, Massachusetts, Portsmouth, at least Fall River. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow! It's I, a city in I Bristol, misspoke. Bristol County. Massachusetts. A lot of these accounts are Massachusetts and Maine. It's this area right here. Um, I'll have this in the show notes too. This is a map. A lot of this goes from uh, okay Gloucester. There's a lot of historical accounts in Gloucester going up to Casco Bay. This is a drive time between those two places of about two and a half to three hours. So as the sea monster swims, as it's probably like a half hour as the swim. You know, they're pretty quick. Swims. So it's 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 a uh, hugging this area of Massachusetts and Maine, but it's so close, especially in the ocean. You know what I mean? Especially for you a large creature. Sea monster swims that fast. Oh, it swims fast, dude. Shut up. Yeah. Well, it's not hitting stoplights. It could take. It could do that in a half hour. But no, come on. What are you talking about? You think it swims like? 60 miles an hour? Well, that's what they clocked it at some, some places. Shut up. They said that. Why would that be so weird? <laughs> it's really fast. I guess it is pretty cool. That's faster than a speedboat. How well, fast, not faster. How fast does a cheetah swim? How about not 60 miles an hour? swim? <laughs> Maybe like Dolphins? 30 or 35? Oh, yeah. I'm going to guess 40. Maybe. That's Dolphin? pretty fast. Let me Google dolphin speed. Dude, know, it's hard to... Water is much slower than land. Yeah, orca swims 30. And that's not sustained. That's like bursts. Yeah, that's true. What they see is probably when it goes really fast, it's probably running away. Yeah, the animals can't sustain that kind of speed. Oh, wow. Dolphins only swim about 37 miles per hour. 37. They can go over 20. 327. See, I told 37. you. I'm right. According I'm to Google, right. short beak common dolphin, 37 miles an hour. Oh, well, Google told me three different. to seven miles an hour. It says Bottom right those there. dolphins typically swim three to seven miles per hour. They can go over 20 miles per hour when they work hard. Look, this is how Google is dividing the country. They're giving people different facts you're saying, about dolphin speed. You're saying that I can, my quick walk is faster than a dolphin can swim. You oh, you can walk, walk seven, seven miles, miles an, an hour? hour? Three? That's at I least can a run, trot. I can run, uh, 
Yeah, you could probably do a speed walk and a dolphin would probably be coasting yeah, along. Click at that my speed. link. This, this is silly. You really think that a top speed is seven miles an hour for a dolphin? Apparently, the short beaked common what dolphin does that say? can sp- maximum speed is 37 miles an okay. hour. It doesn't say max, it just says, it says com- maximum. Well, we're apparently getting a lot of different uh, numbers here. It, do you think it swims yeah, casually? Sure, but my point is, you think it's a. It's so important! You think it's. I'm going to cut a lot of this out. But my question is <laughs> go back to that, please. It doesn't matter. Keep it here. You think so? That go just, back to that, please. It doesn't matter. Keep it, it here. It just said thirty-seven <laughs> miles an hour, right? Don't you think that's more likely a typo that it says they swim three to seven miles an hour? No, it's their a maximum kind of speed dolphin. is exactly the same number if you put them together. Thirty-seven miles an hour in the water is crazy fast. Dolphins typically swim three to seven miles per hour. They can go over twenty miles per hour when they work hard. And in your case, thirty-seven miles per hour is the max. Okay, it's weird. It's just weird. We're really I don't glad like it. we broke that down. Okay, <laughs> let's move along here. Please. Where were we? I don't know. Look Chris this lady. is mad that dolphins don't swim that fast. I just thought it was time. weird that it said three to seven, max thirty-seven. It looked oh. like a typo. <laughs> okay, where are you at there? All right, so there is an int- uh, an interview with Lauren Coleman that I'll link in the show notes, and there's an actual picture of this creature, Cassie, and that's where the, this area is where they saw this thing, and it has it's more of that kind of plesiosaur kind of looking thing. But the, the interesting thing about it is the neck has the white under the chin going down. You know, they talked about it looking like a basketball, except it was, they described it as kind of flat on the bottom mm-hmm. and then angling down on the sides looks like an upside down triangle, essentially. It's a snakehead. And you, yes, kind of a, a snakish kind of face, but it's flat, with snorting nostrils. But that's in so many of these accounts in the same area. There's just a lot of interesting corroboration. Oh, here, this, here's a picture. So yeah, it looks a little more like the Loch Ness. Right. Kind of, but there's the white stripe. It looks like a carnivorous brontosaur. Mm-hmm. In the water. So like a plesiosaur, right? That'd be a plesiosaur. But this this depiction is more is like a serpent, like the actual. Because it like, doesn't have the bo- like the full the body, body with the flippers. Mm-hmm. See, like it, it's easy to like joke around about it, but to see something like that with the the teeth, the teeth? like like a snake. Yeah, you know how like snakes are. Ugh. Yeah. You imagine that that with the size of a basketball and it's hissing at you. Yeah, that's crazy. Like right, and you're in and water. It has layers of teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Rose. Rose. Of curved, sharp teeth. Curved in at 45 degree angle dagger teeth. I wonder why it didn't attack him. I don't know. I mean, Jeremy made that point about like, is this just another little like, uh, you know, mirage like for fear? Yeah. Yeah. These are actual. I don't know. I know. I feel like you can't, we can't chuck everything up to that. It's kind of no. lazy. I especially think the water one is just, there's a lot of possibilities yeah, that we don't know about the water. So here's the Cape Ann serpent. We'll put this in the show notes too, but that's an actual depiction at the time uh, in like the 1800s or, or whenever it was. This old depiction, but imagine seeing that monster, and you're in this like rowboat. Um, but yeah, that's in the same area, Cape <laughs> mm-hmm. Ann. It's all in this like New England kind of coastal region. You get a couple of accounts in there, right? Yeah. To kind of back up, and again to your point here, I doubt these people know the detailed descriptions of this historic monster that seems to appear. There was a, a right. like a big flap to use that word. Uh, of sightings, a splash of sightings. There's a splash of sightings that went on for a long period of time. It was like a decade or something in this area, and then went away for a while. Maybe, maybe it was longer than that, but um, and then now they're more sporadic, like this. I think it's been a while since there's been like a legit encounter. Uh, but John, to answer your question. I've heard the point made that as simplistic as it is, it might just be you know you start losing these accounts and these sightings, these experiences. Once you hit the industrial age and you start getting yeah. loud motors, this in was the water. Lauren's argument too, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, yeah, they learn to avoid uh, big boats with motors. It you could know? be the same with Bigfoot and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and dogmen. They hate dirt bikes. Well, think about the waters. We used to be so still in the water. You know, you have a, a boat, rowboat, no right mechanical engine, right. engine. Now that's with so much noise. Essentially, humans are noisy now. Industrial revolution changed everything. And we have highways in the water. 
Just like yeah. animals tend to avoid the highway generally. We have routes that are typically taken. Right. And so they know how in bays where humans are, there's a lot of noise and traffic. So yeah. it makes sense that they would avoid that. So that's yeah. one argument for why we don't see it. And, and I like that idea, like the idea that if there are, and I'm not a nautical engineer, so I don't no, know exactly not. if this is true. No. I thought you were. I did too. And then I didn't, <laughs> didn't get hired. Um, like if it's true that like boats typically take some, like kind of the, not the same routes, but the, let's say there's a certain number of routes, right? In the massive oceans of the world, and there's these boats taking these typical ones. Who knows what creatures are out there that just avoid those as a uh, rule? And so you just never see a bunch of creatures that might be closer to the surface, but just stay out of those areas. I mean, I don't know. Right. Well, here's another cor- an interesting idea. Here's another corroboration right in that area from like the, uh, I believe the 1700s or 1800s. Um, just a quick description the throat and underside was pure white. There it is. Skin is usually smooth, though sometimes reported as rough. Scales are occasionally mentioned. Scales, right? What yeah. they kept saying, scales. Um, these these accounts are hundreds of years apart. Yeah, from uh, the 90s to like the 1590s, you know. And it has an ovoid head, flat on top. Exactly. Triangle, upside down triangle. Uh, large eyes, six inches in diameter. Broad snout, like an ox's. <laughs> uh, slender neck with one or two white stripes on the side. Throat and underside are white. Small triangular yeah. fins, so yeah, very similar. Is there anything um, notable about the scales? I feel like everything on water has scales. No, oh, it, it well, snakes it, have scales. It indicates like dolphin uh, reptile, scales? not fish or well, I guess fish, fish scales. But dolphins, guess fish. mammals, those things right? Don't. It wouldn't be a mammal. That, that'd be the well, idea that it's not a. That's why I think lo- what Lauren mammal. Coleman is talking about in it that area is like different. Mammal. Than, yeah, it's different than what we're talking about, which is more well, like whales or man mammals. Right, whales or mammals, orcas. Orcas are. Yeah, are fit. They're Wait. they're mammals too, I think, aren't they? Yeah, they're duh. duh. They're they mammals. Live birth. Sharks are fish. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, technically, sharks are. They're a type of fish, technically. Yes. Just a mean, terrible. Who, what listener would like gave us a hard time because we talked a about the baby, cold shark, baby shark, cold eyes. baby shark eyes. Like yeah, obviously, like, we don't think sharks the are evil. The more you do a show, the more you realize every once in a while there's people out there that something will set someone off. Yeah, they get mad about the weirdest thing. Cold baby shark eyes. Like we really hate sharks. They were upset that we. We're, we're defaming sharks or bad something? about baby sharks. We were totally joking to begin yeah. with. <laughs> I think the idea is that if we talk about cold baby shark eyes, we were giving you know, of, a of bad evil, name. Well, what's going to happen is a, one of our listeners is going to go out and start hunting sharks <laughs> just to get rid of them. You know, like that's the fear. Yeah. yeah. I would be cool with that if they send us like a jaw to hang in the studio. There you go. I wouldn't be cool with it, Chris. I mean, you're a mean how much damage person. could one shark hunt? Okay. Do? Now we're getting into territory where we get calls. <laughs> just kidding. Um, oh, shut Would up. you give a crap if you were being eaten by one? What the shark? No, if I was being eaten, I'd be like, kill them all right now. Exactly. Um, but it, after I survived, it'd be like, they, he was misunderstood. <laughs> he didn't think I was, you know, he thought I was a seal or something. Um, be stewards of the earth. Stewards of the earth. That's all right. right. I love animals. Okay. So this is a quick, uh, quick bit comes from uh, Gloucester, which is how you pronounce it, I guess, um, in that area. Um, the Gloucester Sea Serpent. Now, this dates all the way back to 1639. This comes from a, uh, a blog, actually, Chris. And you have a book on this, and you'll tell a couple brief accounts, but this comes from the Wormwood Files uh, by Dr. Abner Malady. <laughs> and at first I was like, oh, that's cool. A doctor has written an article on this blog. Uh, <laughs> I get Abner. That's a pretty good Abner name. Abner Malady. Um, obviously a John. But this is basically a breakdown of, of some of his experiences <laughs> from that time. Uh, helping the veracity of the witness reports was the fact that so many of them agreed with each other, like we talked about. The serpent was described the same way almost every time, length from 60 to 100 feet, making it a truly enormous animal. The dark brown to black coloration, the same shaped head, the same method of swimming. 
The most detailed report came from the outrageously named Reverend Cheever Felch. Okay, Dr. Malady. <laughs> outrageously named. I call him the cattle, am I right? A well-known minister of good character and some training as a naturalist. Felch sent a letter to the Boston Sentinel describing the encounter he had with the serpent while serving on the aptly named Schooner Science. His color is dark brown with white under his throat. His size we could not accurately ascertain, but his head is about three feet in circumference, flat and much smaller than his body. We did not see his tail, but from the end of the head to the farthest protuberance was, I love that word, was not far from 100 feet. I speak with a degree of certainty, being much accustomed to measure and estimate distances in length. I counted 14 bunches on his back, the first one say 10 or 12 feet from his head, and the others about seven feet apart. They decreased in size towards the tail. These bunches were sometimes counted with and sometimes without a glass. Probably meaning like a like a telescope or a monocle. What are those called? Kaleidoscope? A pirate tube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a magnifying glass You're for the right, ocean. Right. Yeah, we're smart. A periscope. For, uh, That's not right at all. Uh, Mr. Malborn counted 13, Mr. Blake 13 and 14, and the boatman the same number. His motion was partly vertical and partly horizontal, like that of freshwater snakes. I have been much acquainted with snakes in our interior waters. His motion was the same. Okay, so that kind of damning evidence. That account actually comes from like 1817, I believe. But there's there were a lot of accounts at that time, and that's the thing is like you get these in phases, but they're always this identical kind of descriptions of this serpentine kind of gigantic, scary creature. Right in this area. I think the one you were thinking of initially that um, the account in 1639, John Jocelyn. Yeah, in 1639, and this guy, I like this guy. He reminds me of the Fox Mulder of the 17th century, because he always wants to believe he's he's a traveler, kind of an explorer. But he always he writes, he shares the tales that people tell him of the crazy experiences they've had. One that I didn't include about a merman. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> right. um, didn't someone say he writes with credulity? Right. Meaning like he wants, he writes he like wants he to wants believe, to believe basically. So yeah, well, go ahead and read this, John. This is his account. The first account. 1639. North America. Or 1638. June the 6th and 20th day, very stormy, lightning and thunder. I heard now two of the greatest and fearful thunderclaps that ever were heard. I am confident. At this time, we had some neighboring gentlemen in our house who came to welcome me into the country where amongst a variety of discourse, they told me of a sea serpent or snake that lay coiled up like a cable upon a rock at Cape Ann, a boat passing by with English and two Indians on board. They would have shot the serpent, but the Indians dissuaded them, saying that if he were not killed outright, they would be all in danger of their lives. Nice, yeah. John Jocelyn. So that's the first report in North America. That was 1638. Imagine seeing that like coiled up on a rock. Oh, and I love that. And and like, Don't shoot it. Where it's going to eat us. Yeah, the English are on the boat and then there's a couple Indians on there. Uh, they only call Native Americans. And then they're about to shoot this giant snake thing. They're like, da-da, don't like, do no, that. They're like, no, 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 don't do that. We'll die. You're going to piss this, it off. Yeah, this, you're not going to kill it. Right. This is a giant snake monster. Yeah, that's good advice. Good advice. Don't shoot at the monster. Just slink on by in your ship. Okay, so our last story here is probably the most famous in the area, I think, historically, because uh, it comes from a uh, naval ensign by the name of Edward Preble. Um, now, this takes place in Penobscot 
Penobscot. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Sorry, guys. I'm not from New England. Penobscot in Maine, um, which again, this is all right in that area up there, New England off the coast in those cold waters. In 1779, the uh, naval ensign Edward Preble had a close encounter with Cassie. So after seeing the creature, he decides he's going to row out there towards the monster, right? So he rows out. He describes being able to see 10 feet of the creature above the waterline. But it looked at him. And when it looked at him, it frightened him so badly that when he was close enough, he fired his swivel gun. Which this is wait, awesome. Wait, what is a swivel gun? A swivel gun well, is is that like a gun on a turret on a boat? It's a gun on the side of a boat. Okay, I can imagine it. It's right here. There you go. Fire in the hole. <laughs> I think you had this ready. The can- yeah, it's those, it's those it's baby cannons, cannons you it's see a, on pirate it's baby cannons. Cannon. It's a little yeah. rowboat cannon or whatever yeah. boat you have. It's it's kind of cool. Um, but anyways, he fires this at the thing, and uh, all it does is make the monster swim away even faster. But that was the first, one of the most significant sightings because this guy, uh, Ensign Edward Preble, went on to become Commodore Preble uh, and formed the Officer Corps and would later lead the U.S. Navy in the War of 1812. Oh, that's crazy. So, you know, an important guy yeah. has some credibility. There's so many of these stories, guys, and we'll, we'll link to these, but there's there's literally hundreds of stories in just this area, just up in New England. Um, yeah, but- I went into this not even, I wasn't even compelled to do this episode until we saw some of that stuff. And then when I Googled it, I found that interview that we'll have in the show notes. We'll put it up on the website. Um, and then finding all these corroborations with this account, it just, I'm, I am pretty darn sure that this thing exists or has existed in the very recent yeah. past. And that scares me a little bit. No, it doesn't scare you. Well, if I was in the ocean, it would. Oh, yes, it would. That's I just, I'm, not, I'm not scared here in Ohio on land. Yeah, we're pretty John's far. apartment. This thing just came up and knocked on your door. I am a little worried about the potential future flooding of the world where I don't have anywhere to hide, though. There you go. With climate change, these things will be yeah. everywhere. Uh, no, but I'm scared. Al Gore will be rowing, rowing on his boat he'll going, have, I told you He'll be you riding so. him. He'll be the master of the snake serpents. <laughs> Oh, the Al Ark, and it'll be it'll be pulled by these Gloucester <laughs> serpents. Awesome. Um, but no, so yeah, this thing, I'd be scared in the oceans, just hanging out in the ocean, thinking about this thing. But also in lakes, Seneca Lake. No, oh, there's York. plenty of lakes. There's lake monsters like this. And lakes too. and lakes, man. Ab- guys, I'm not, say, I'm not saying don't live YOLO out there. Do, the what most, you, do what you want, but I'm just saying. Just know that you may die if you YOLO. It's possible. The most impressive. Uh, you guys can check it out. We won't play it because you can't see it anyway. But the most impressive, I think, proof of a lake monster uh, is in Turkey. And it's the largest um, saltwater lake, I think, in Turkey. But this video footage is insane. I mean, you can tell it's skin. This thing is there. It's not a shadow. It's not a log. Anyway, we'll have that linked for you guys. I'll show John after the break so he can be amazed, But or after the end. But uh, yeah, I think think that wraps up, that coils up this episode. Oh, that's creepy. Oh, you see it? Is that real? Yeah. Is it the eye? It'll, it'll zoom in. This is the same uh, day? This, yeah. It's all, well, this guy said he got it three times because he's been looking for this thing forever. Apparently, there's hundreds of accounts of this thing throughout the years. This in Turkey. This is Turkey, huh? I forget the name of the well, lake. I didn't, I didn't capture this because... Uh, it's the Lake... Lake, oh, lake Van, that's lake right. Lake Van. Is that the guy? That, yeah, that's the guy who was taking this, this footage. Is October 2006, it looks like. He'd been casing the place for a long time. Look at that. What is that? Like an like, elephant. It looks like an elephant eye. But wait till it pan- it, you, it goes back. You can see the whole body, kind of. It looks like an elephant, except there's no ear. There it is. And look at that. That's definitely an eyeball. Yeah. It looks like a knotty, knobby elephant head, except... I mean, we know it definitely is a real animal that's there. Oh, yeah. That can't be an elephant. That almost looks like a crocodile back or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, but just really Humps? long. Yeah. 
We'll put this in the show notes, guys, too. This is called Turkey Pictures of Lake Monster. The beautiful lake there. The Associated Press. Anyway, what do you guys think out there, huh? You guys let us know. Have you seen a sea monster? Yes. And if you have, please. I please mean, out of everything else, like, of course, it's just like another thing. Like, of course, it's probably possible. I know. Does this get tiring that at the end of all these episodes, we're like, Huck. I mean, it's definitely. We, we do. We've been doing a lot of cryptids and monsters. I know. I know. We're going to. Well, well, not we are, next time, right? Yeah. Next time we will be talking. Magic of sound. Yes. It'll be different, different road next. What about the expansion? The expansion, we're not sure. It'll be, you guys will hear it because there'll be a preview of it. But at this stage, I think we're kind of up in the air about what the expansion is mm-hmm. going to be. It'll be a surprise. This, this release. It's up in the air. But it won't be a cryptid, John. It might be up in the that. air. I was thinking about doing... I, lo- I mean, I, I'm not saying that, that, you know, I've enjoyed them. It's just yeah. we have just done a lot of them. I know. It is late in the day, too, which is what part I, of It your... almost seems like we're more of a cryptid podcast than... Well, it's part of the paranormal. It is. Yeah, it is. We didn't do many ghosts, though, for... I was thinking of Halloween. doing... Speaking of that and speaking of up in the air, I was thinking of doing uh, Haunted Skies. I've got some pretty awesome... Uh, what does that mean? Haunted airplane stories. Oh, yeah. It sounds almost as boring as... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I think that idea is really cool because I like the like the idea haunted of, airplanes. Yeah, I mean that wouldn't be the only thing. I've just got a couple good accounts. One is a like a, you can it's a uh, person giving their account of that's more of a time slip. It could story. be a time slip. We could do time storms. I finally got that time storms book I've been wanting to do. I, don't know, I always hear stuff and then I'm like, Ugh, and then usually they, they're pretty good. Yeah, like <laughs> like this one, right? You thought I was going to be dull. Yeah, honestly, like uh, the sea monster thing is really like not interesting to me. But there were some good stories for sure. Thank you, John. Glad we one of our hardest just the, critics. Just the topic itself. Seems, I agree. I it's, agree. It's like below Bigfoot. It wasn't for me. until it wasn't until I heard that interview that I saw the interview. Yeah, that I no, was there's like, some creepy. It. It's just like all I think of is like that when I see when I hear. That's oh, the this thing, thing. That's the this thing. The devil up right now is just like a the typical devil is little, in the details. Yeah, like once we get into this stuff, some of the some of the interviews were and the the real stories are pretty creepy. Yeah. See, we're not going to bring anything to you or to the audience that is dull. Right. We always look for the, the what's in the crevices of the dark. If shadowy I can't find passion in episode, we, we junk it. You know, like yeah. we did Roanoke, and we're like, there's actually not a lot of mystery there that we thought right. there was, and we got Junked. rid of it last minute. Had to redo it. So, I mean, same thing here. Like if I didn't find this the only reason I, I, I wanted to do it is because of that that inspired me seeing that interview and it freaking me and out the, and, and the story, story from the 60, Florida, 65 yeah, about the actual people that lost the liver I must say hey yeah, thanks John most of the time we used to work for pizza outfits without so. your uh, <laughs> without your uh, invested repartee through the episode <laughs> I don't think they would be nearly as enjoyable so it works out well you give us a high bar to jump John yeah it's important if we can keep you entertained with this stuff, That's right? True. Then hopefully we keep you other people entertained. Uh, canary in the coal mine. <laughs> well, you guys stick around. If you're an expansion member, make sure to check out the expansion episode. I think my favorite episodes of the season so far have been on the expansion. Also, what we get to do is we get to do those fun little improv things. We should play. That's one of those. This is why I love. We should them. play one at the end. Yeah, let's do it. Which one? We'll play the last one. The Halloween. Oh, the one? trick or treat. Okay, for Halloween. Okay. Expansion episode preview. We'll do a little extra treat for all of our listeners. So every expansion episode now we do, yeah, an improv thing. At the beginning, it's all off the cuff and it's a scene based on what the episode's going to be. It's kind of fun. Yeah. You hope you guys like it. It's become a theme. But yeah, so that's just to say expansion episodes are a little more laid back, a little more fun, but they're just as researched and entertaining and produced just because it's the nature of being behind the, you know, the wall. All right, guys, on that note, um, we hope you liked this episode. Make sure to stay out of the water. Leave reviews. If you want to help us out, leave a review uh, on Tell iTunes, your friends. Spotify, Facebook recommendations. Tell your friends and uh, let us know how you shared us and we'll give you super high high fives. All righty. You stay safe out there. Watch out for those sea monsters. Yeah. And until next time, we'll see you in the, the Belief Hole. So cool. Are you excited to go out today, Billy? Yeah, Jimmy, I can't wait. It's going to be the best Halloween ever. I got my best costume. Let's go. Let's go get some candy. Yeah, you look great. What are you? 
up a trampoline, trampoline salesman. Odd choice. So what are you supposed to be? I'm, uh, uh, Rob Lowe. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> this is my mom's idea. She watches him all the time. I don't really understand who he is. All right, let's, get some, let's go get some candy. Where, where should we go first? What's the best place, do you think? All the kids have been talking about old Mr. McGregor's house. Well, old Mr. McGregor? My mom told me that he died like three months ago. Really? Yeah. Well, look up there. There's, the lights are on. Okay. okay. Well, maybe maybe she maybe she was wrong. Let's go. Let's go, let's go get some candy, Mr. McGregor's. All right, hop on my pegs. Oh, oh you're, you're wet. <laughs> That's sweaty. <laughs> What? It rained last night. I didn't take it in the garage. Do you sweat that much normally? <laughs> Very sweaty for a, for a Halloween night. Okay, let's go. Oh, oh. Okay. So who told you he was dead? I don't have to go a whole back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I don't, sure don't remember this house being this, this creepy. Yeah, it looks different, doesn't it? Ring, you ring the doorbell. Okay, hold on. Well, hello, children. What is it? Is it Halloween again? Yeah, Mr. McGregor, yes. Oh, my favorite time of year. I'm so glad you came. I don't have any candy, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll be on our way. No, no, don't leave. Warm an old man's heart. Come on in and and just spend a few moments with me. Well, okay. My mom says I'm not supposed to, but I guess it's okay. It's fine. Come on in. Okay. Say, Mr. McGregor. Yes. You said you didn't know it's Halloween, but you look like you're wearing a bit of a costume. You have the pale face makeup on and That's the just bloodshot me being eyes. That's ninety-five. How dare you? Sorry, I didn't mean any you're offense. A- Terrible child. Oh. No, I'm sorry. Just come, come with me. I want to show you my house. Okay. <laughs> that was odd, but okay. No, it's fine. I'm, I'm still alive, so it's okay. <laughs> odd, you need to clarify. What are you supposed to be anyways, twerp? Rob Lowe? Who's that? I'm not sure. Rob Lowe, what about you? I'm a werewolf. Oh, cool. Yeah, right? Oh, you were a trampoline salesman. Yeah. Changed. <laughs> I guess werewolves changed. It makes more sense. Very anthropy. Oh, it's very drafty in here, Mr. Yeah. McGregor. Well, it's because it's an old house with an old man that runs the old house. Well, I don't mean to be pushed. We got a lot of other houses to hit. Where's the candy? Well, if you just follow me into this room, it's in this giant hole. What? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean there? It's in right that there. dark, creepy, yeah. giant chasm? Well, why don't you... The, the candy's just through that hole. If you just go over and check it out. What, why is there a, a giant hole in your wall, Mr. You ask McGregor? a lot of questions, punk. Well, before I walk into a scary hole, Billy, I Billy, Billy, we got other places to go. Just get in the hole. Oh, yeah, th- there's so much candy in there. I can't even... That's why it's so big. Okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to creep up kind of to the edge and just kind of peek in, okay? Go ahead. Hey, Billy, fine. Billy, don't worry. I'll be back here watching out for you. Just get on in there and get some candy okay. for us. Okay. What is that accent? <laughs> <laughs> He's only <like> Frank Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> go get Billy, some candy, okay. Billy, just go get some get some candy. I'll stay back here and watch from behind. He's turned into a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> That's where I grew up. Uh, we did not practice much. Okay. Hey, get in the hole, Billy. Get oh, some candy. Geez, okay. Okay, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go look in the hole. Okay, but just just hold on to my my belt or something. Okay. Okay. Go for it, kids. Oh. Okay, my my hands my hands in the hole. Oh. 
Keep I can't, reaching, can't keep see that anything. Smell. Keep reaching. What is that sound? Deeper. What's that? The sounds in there. This doesn't feel right. Something's wrong. Keep going. I, I can't feel my body. Keep Jenny. going. Billy. It's all in the hole. What is a body? I can't remember anything. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Happy Halloween. That, that was, was interesting. That was rough. No, it's gonna be good. It's gonna it's be good. great. Okay, what's yeah, yeah.